0: The first high level thing, it's so critical and it's so important is to use firsthand experience and use specifics. If nothing else lands throughout this entire talk, those two buckets are critical to being effective on LinkedIn. So the first thing is don't feel as if you need to be some super tenured veteran to be successful on LinkedIn. You just need to share real stuff, real learnings, real observations, real conversations. That is a huge piece.
1: Hey, welcome to the Higher Ed Storytelling University podcast here on the B Podcast Network. This is a show dedicated to helping higher ed marketers tell better stories, create better content, and enroll more students. My name's John Ozzoni. I'm the founder at Unveiled, and we're a video production company working specifically with college marketing teams to make it easy for them to scale up and even automate their student and alumni success stories through our subscription approach. And you can learn more about that at unveiled.tv, and that's U-N-V-E-I. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, uh, go ahead and subscribe. We'd love to have you. And if you're wanting your college and university's content to resonate on a deeper emotional level with prospective students, with alumni, with parents, whatever, I want you to subscribe to my free newsletter. Every week I send out tips and insights on creating more emotionally resonant content, including examples and best practices from other institutions, articles and blog posts, that week's podcast episode, and much more. So head over to unveiled.tv slash newsletter and sign up. All right, let's get on with the show. My guest today is Casey Hill. Uh, Casey is a growth veteran with over a decade of experience in helping software companies scale fast. So whether it's garnering millions of views on Quora and LinkedIn or pioneering new growth levers, like booking his team on hundreds of podcasts, Casey is always looking for creative and value-led ways to grab attention and break from the mold. So, in his current role, leading growth at Active Campaign, he's building organic growth engines to propel the team to one billion dollars with a B in annual recur- uh, recurring revenue. Uh, so, and so we, we've got Casey on the show today to talk about. Uh, we're going to zero in on LinkedIn strategies, and I'm excited to get into this. So, Casey, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me, John. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you. So. I, I looked up some LinkedIn statistics before this. Uh, The dates for these articles were very scattered. Some I'm like, oh, this is a good one. (laughs) Then I look at the article, it's like from 2014. (laughs) But but what I can confidently say is in 2023, um, Pew Research Center uh, did a social media use study. LinkedIn remains popular with college students. Further research into LinkedIn statistics uh, revealed over 40, or I'm sorry, over 50% of adults who have a bachelor's or advanced degree in the US are LinkedIn users while the site engages only 10% of people whose education doesn't surpass high school. So for, it seem, maybe seem col- counterintuitive for college students uh, you know, to be on LinkedIn, we think we would find them on TikTok and Instagram, which we do. Um, but, there's, uh, but there is definite uh, potential here for uh, LinkedIn for um, reaching prospective students, but also for higher ed marketers to be influencers to the higher ed marketing uh, community.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that you see that LinkedIn as a channel has evolved a lot, right? Like LinkedIn used to be this kind of job board. That was the early stage LinkedIn It's like people posting jobs, people finding it. And it's really changed a lot to more of a thought leadership channel where people are posting firsthand experiences, people are posting unique observations, and people are networking and they're getting, you know, basically connected into to other folks in their circles. And so as part of that evolution, I think it's actually become a really interesting channel that brands have been able to leverage to draw attention in higher education as well as other markets across the board
1: yeah and just thinking about how many businesses are on linkedin too and recruiters sourcing uh you know linkedin profiles for for hiring one of the things we know about higher education is that the number one thing that students care about you know statistically right now is employability after uh after graduation so it makes sense that a lot of them are uh, on linkedin and kind of getting a jump start on that or if they're uh graduate level um you know they've been on it they've been in the in the in the working world and and things like that so um but I want to kick us off uh before we jump into all that tell me something that people would be surprised to know about you
0: i um, surprised to know. So an interesting fact is that I've actually launched a board game business. So I did a Kickstarter that was 800% funded and we sold thousands of copies of a game called Archon, which is a small strategy card game on Kickstarter uh, between 2018 and 2019. So that was a uh, that was a fun experience and uh, probably not too common.
1: Awesome. Do you can you buy this in the stores?
0: I currently do not have the online store anymore. I just had too many plates up in the air. If someone reaches out to me personally i'll i'll uh, I'll hook you up. We still have some some copies on hand, but uh the overall online store is not not currently operational.
1: That's really interesting what What led to starting a game?
0: Yeah, it's just been something that I was passionate about. I grew up in a family of seven and gaming was a way that we kind of got everyone connected in as a family and so my whole life, I grew up playing board games, playing strategy games. Um, I wanted to take kind of my background, which had been in software and marketing tech, and see if I could apply it to an area that I was really passionate about, which was board games. And so it was really fun to do that and to test a lot of these things that I've been doing for companies for years, right? All these different email marketing strategies, running paid Facebook ads, running sponsorships, doing podcast appearances. And essentially apply it for my own business and paying with my own dollars. And so uh, yeah. I'm grateful for the experience. I think I learned a lot.
1: That's cool. And that's why I'm glad we got you on. It's one of those episodes where, you know, we like to have a lot of um, guests on here that are from outside the higher ed bubble. Um, and you bring a lot of, uh, you know, outside of the higher ed, you know, experience in in, in growth and, and things like that. Uh, you're currently recently at Active Campaign, doing a lot with... Um, you know, social media and growth for active campaign. I follow you on LinkedIn. Your posts are great. Um, but let's start off with like, tell, tell us about active campaign. I, I've used it. It's an email, you know, emailing uh, platform, kind of like MailChimp or something like that. I've used it in, in my in my previous job. But for people who don't know, tell us what it is and what you do there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, ActiveCampaign is like a marketing automation platform. So essentially it has two kind of major buckets. One is an email marketing piece where you can set up automations and you can be reaching out to folks. But I think one of the cool parts about it is there's a lot of sophistication. So versus you kind of have your basic email tools. So things like you mentioned, like MailChimp or ConvertKit. And then when you're wanting to run a little bit more advanced logic, have a little bit more personalization, uh, maybe have some omnichannel approaches, you try SMS or personal letters or different things like that to work in that's kind of where uh, active campaign can be a really effective tool so that's kind of the marketing piece and then it's also a CRM engine meaning that you can manage relationships as you know people are coming in and you're trying to track Uh, customer relationships, vendor relationships, you can keep track of all of that under one hood. So that is essentially the bubble of active campaign. And what I do is I work on the organic marketing side. So essentially my job is to find non-paid, i.e. not paid ads, uh, ways to grow the organization. And so I do a handful of different levers. One of those that I think we'll dig into a little bit more is specifically around LinkedIn.
1: So tell us what what have you been working with your team on uh, with LinkedIn? Because we, we talked yesterday or pre-chat about, uh, you know, there's like this 10,000 views club and and the whole philosophy of like you wanting your whole team to be getting views and not just you being the one expert that knows how to get, you know, traction on LinkedIn. Tell Tell me about that.
0: A hundred percent. So I think one of the mistakes that people make is there's this whole thing around like personal brand and personal brands driving business. And I think they absolutely can drive business, but I think one of the challenges is what you want to do is you want to build a system. You don't want to have one person who drives a lot of impact for you, and then they leave and then you lose all of that momentum. So one of the things I was keen to do when I came on board Active campaign was to start to mobilize the entire team. So we created a Slack channel called Operation LinkedIn. And I'm sharing courses that I've built. I'm sharing post examples. I'm reviewing people's content. And I'm trying to essentially coach up everyone in that channel. We have 45 folks that are part of Operation LinkedIn and try to make those people also ambassadors of the active campaign brand. So this becomes a scalable system that we could implement as a company. And the 10K Club is a mark, so 10,000 impressions per week on your content. So that can be from one post or it can be from five posts. Doesn't matter. Um, We can kind of get into strategy of of tempo or how often to post in a little bit. Uh, But it's really cool to see people going from getting 400 views to getting 1,000, to getting 5,000, to getting 8,000, and then they break that 10,000 and we celebrate it. Um, And we kind of look at what helped that person move in many ways very quickly. I think oftentimes people think like, oh, if I'm at 400 views, There's no way, like 10,000 feels like this far off thing, but we have people getting there in just a few weeks with some coaching and some looking and kind of how they approach it. So it's been really exciting um, to see that side. And and then just as a quick top level view, my approach to channel strategy on, on a channel like LinkedIn is to have not only our team posting thought leadership, I try to think of this as topical authority, good, powerful stories that allow our team to be seen as experts in a relative space. And that might be different. This is a really important part. That might be different for different folks in the organization. I talk a lot about organic growth and marketing and email optimization because that's what I know. That's my last 10 plus years of experience. But someone in sales will have different experience. And so that's all part of building authority in different areas. And I think that's great. And people shouldn't just be cookie cutter regurgitating blog articles. People should post about what they know. And in addition to that thought leadership, we're also trying to bring as many customers as we can to be posting and to be advocates. And I think this is so important. So whether it's your customers or whether it's your alumni or whoever is associated, it's really important to try to get those outside voices to be amplifying and to be advocates for you. Because when they're promotional, it's seen in a different light as when you, as an employee, are promotional. And I think there's something very powerful and we're already seeing a ton of velocity from getting that dozen plus folks talking about their experiences with ActiveCampaign every single week on LinkedIn as a channel. And then as a third lever, we also run some paid ads. And primarily those ads are what we call thought leadership ads, meaning that instead of just a bland, you know, hey, go check out our product, they're actually promoting valuable posts that have content that is teaching things. So it's changing this lens to what if ads were actually educational? What if ads could actually add value? Um, which is a concept I'm really excited about. So that's kind of our three-pronged attack to LinkedIn uh, as it stands right now.
1: That's really cool. I like I like the idea of, yeah, especially what you said, the ads providing value. Um, you know, a lot of, it's a far cry from just like a st- static image that's this is active campaign or some clever thing um what are you seeing right now like uh just in general on linkedin uh you mentioned you know people just regurgitating blog posts uh i see that a lot too and it drives me nuts i i see it a lot from um like accountants like financial financial plan like financial planning community it's like okay here's five tips to prepare for retirement and they didn't even write it. It was like, they're just, you know, it's a, it's a lob. They're just kind of lobbing something out there. Um, But what, what, what kind of stuff like that are you seeing that that people need to kind of change their mindset about?
0: Yeah, for sure. So the first high level thing it's so critical and it's so important is to use firsthand experience and use specifics. If nothing else lands throughout this entire talk, that those two buckets are critical to being effective on LinkedIn, so the first is there's so much generalized content that the, one of the ways you're standing out is you're actually talking about an actual experience that you have had. And I always tell people because people get intimidated. Well, if I'm if I'm not an executive, if I'm not a C class, can I? Is my insight really valuable? And my answer is absolutely. I got my first one million views on LinkedIn as an SDR and as an AE in sales. Right, I was an entry-level employee and I was just talking about what I was learning, what I was testing out. Hey, after I finished my cold calls, I tried to do some door knocking. I tried to do this social strategy. I tried to do this other thing and here are my results. And sure enough, LinkedIn, a platform that has hundreds of millions of folks on it, they will resonate because they're at that same stage. So the first thing is don't feel as if you need to be some super tenured veteran to be successful on LinkedIn, you just need to share real stuff, real learnings, real observations, real conversations. That is a huge piece. And, And part of what feeds that is to use specifics, use actual data. So if I'm talking about my experience, instead of just saying, oh, you know, outside of my standard cold calling, I also tried a social strategy, get into this. How many outreaches did I do? Do What did that actual, the structure of that look like? So if I sent a pitch, what was the actual pitch? Share the actual pitch, break it down, analyze it. That's what lends credibility to it, right? It makes it feel like, okay, not only are you sharing real experience, but I trust that it's real experience because you're actually breaking it down and you're using specifics. So those are two top level, absolutely vital pieces. And I think that a lot of times people feel intimidated from a company standpoint, they're like, oh, but can I share the secret sauce? Am I sharing too much? Mm-hmm. My vantage point is this. I know every, every company is gonna be a little bit different. Sure, there's gonna be certain confidential things that you shouldn't share and you should try to talk with your team internally and be aware. But 95% of the time, what you can do is you can share actual valuable stuff without breaking those confidentiality clauses and without it being problematic. It's more of the, the mental block of you kind of shifting how you approach content so i strongly encourage people uh, time and time again to embolden their teams around that concept as well embolden people to say sharing the specifics is how you will be successful so change your mindset there and and make sure to have your team feel empowered to do the same
1: yeah that's great i think um it, it reminds me of what's I see really popular, you know, on uh, reels and TikTok and things like that is these get ready with me videos, uh, you know, with these influencer gals that are uh, just doing their makeup. And I'm like, that's super simple, but it's, it's kind of like this, this, uh, this idea of like, just come, come along this journey with me and we're actually going to do this together, you know? And, and I think that that's, that's really, um uh, you know, impactful in this, the content that I resonate with a lot is that kind of stuff. Like, here's how I actually tried this and, and here's what was the result. You know, I tried to do a month of, you know, starting a business, start starting an online business. And then, and here's, here's the result. Here's what the gurus were telling me. They were telling me it'd be super easy, but here's what actually happened. Um, and I think that's, I think that's really, that's really key. Cause I think that um, that's what I see a lot of higher ed marketers um, posting. And maybe that's just my algorithm is, is trained like that, but a lot of like, kind of like marketer to marketer content and trying new things. Um, yeah. It's good advice to like, kind of take that and, and pitch it as more like, here's, here's actually what I did. What, what about like, what, what would you say to someone that's like trying things and it's not working? You know, they don't have, they don't have like a, a, the the punchline is not one of success.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I deal with this all the time, right? I've consulted for many, many years around LinkedIn and I'm training people all the time in my team. And so we see all the time where people feel like they're stuck and sometimes it's just, you need to change your style. Sometimes it's around the hook specifically or the graphic, but here's a couple top level things I would think about. So the first is you're using specifics, right? But beyond that, there's also something in that hook where you need to have some sort of authority to also deliver that trust. So that's an important thing that can be missing from a lot of folks. They think about the curiosity. Hey, I'm gonna draw attention by saying something maybe slightly controversial, or I'm gonna leave them hanging on some you know, uh, provocative statement but there's no authority around it. So that's something that you can try if you're struggling. There's a reason that people will, you know, new PR will start with X Google, you know, executive says XYZ or X NASA or X, you know, there's a reason they use that is because it draws in and it pulls authority to a statement. So if you're making comments out there and you're and you're struggling one of the things that you might do is find out who else is talking about that subject you can actually use AI to help you in this so let's say I want to do a post about feature bloat I'm like all these software companies are so bloated they're trying to add everything in I've actually done this I've tested this I go to uh, chat GPT and I can go say what prominent tech executives are talking about feature bloat it'll give me a list boom 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 I can even narrow it down by industry. I'll say, what podcast did they hop on where they were talking about it? It gives me a list of five podcasts. Now, I always tell people, anything AI related, spot check it, make sure it's not lying to you. But 90% of the time when I do that and I spot check it, it's accurate. So this is a great way to quickly draw in authority statements, find out who else is talking about these key issues that can help substantiate your experience. Now it's not just coming from you, but it's coming from you plus the backing of this other research that you've compiled. So that would be one of the first checkpoints I would have um, around that. The second that, thing I would say-
1: AI, s- like is the is ChatGPT, is it sourcing? Cause I, my understanding is it only goes up to 2021. So how would you know that like people are today talking about that stuff?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, so right now you do have a time gap. So you're gonna find conversations about certain topics but it might not go, it, it will not be over those last two years. So that's a great point that something that you need to be aware of is that is a limitation of the research tool. You can obviously do manual research too, right? You can go in and into Google and you can start typing certain subjects or you can search, um, you can go to things like Listen Notes as a database for podcasting specifically that I really like. And you can actually t- type in phrases into Listen Notes and search for podcasts that have mentioned topics around that recently. So that would be another way that you might be able to address that for like podcasting specifically over the last two years.
1: So seeing what's already working, uh, you know, and then pulling from that, what um, I interrupted you, you were going to say, you were going to say something beyond that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I think I was just going to dive into uh, with, I want to drill home too that with specifics, strongly encouraging folks wherever possible to draw in data. I think data can be really powerful as part of what substantiates a claim that you make. So even if you're using firsthand uh, experience and you're talking about some specific firsthand examples, see if you can add a little bit more data to that conversation. And that might help strengthen the content that you're doing so for example i went to uc berkeley and on quora i actually talked quite a bit about my experience from uc berkeley and one of the things that i found was a common tenet amongst my quote-unquote viral posts in that in that overall sphere is like i would say hey berkeley has 52 nobel laureates in these specific areas and i would like kind of get into the actual data and the irrefutable pieces that I could use if I was trying to make a claim, for instance, that I think that we excel in chemistry over other XYZ program, I would bring in actual data to make sure that that was kind of drawn in. So that's another thing that people who might be struggling, um, could test.
1: Yeah. So definitely like hooking people with, uh, building curiosity, we're not saying that's not important it's definitely re- very important but also establishing right away that authority but then backing that up with data um i actually found you through this post uh that you you did just a, about a week ago uh for so sort of an example of this uh you said you published the same post but with two different hooks version 1 was recently i sat down with nick meta i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right ceo of gainsight to discuss how to scale your organization that's version 1 version 2 was nick meta runs Gainsight, a company that Vista acquired for $1.1 billion. He knows a thing or two about scaling organizations. And you said that version two got 10 times the view of the first one. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Like, tell me, like, um, just tell me more about that. Like, why, why did you, how did you run that test?
0: Yeah. So I basically wanted to do this test Uh, a different hook. So I know that I couldn't do it like back to back. So there was actually a gap of, I want to say like two to three months between when I ran those, but I actually just looked back at a post where I was like, I really feel like this is really good content and it didn't perform as well as I thought it might be able to. So I wanted to try different hooks on the same core content and see if I could, you know, kind of stress test that. And so I went in and I took, again, this tenant of using specifics, right? I use the 1.1 billion uh, number, but I also use authority. I realize lots of people have no idea what Gainsight is. So if I just say I sat down with the CEO of Gainsight, people are like, I have no idea who that is. So like, why why does that create any emotional response? But as soon as someone sees, hey, they sold their company for over a billion dollars, instantly the person's mind's like, okay, this person obviously knows something about this space. They've been incredibly successful. And I think that immediately draws more interest into why they would want to pay attention. And a small note, this is an odd thing, but I've tested this a ton of times, actually writing out 1.1 billion, like writing the full number out instead of doing like 1.1 B actually performs better as well. So I think there's something about like, people see that it's like the magnitude of the number. Um, That's kind of a small minutia piece, but um, yeah, it was cool to run that test and to see that firsthand uh, contrast.
1: So when higher ed marketers are wanting to reach college students, uh, maybe to get them to transfer or to get them to come to their school in the first place or for a grad program. What kind of content would you suggest, you know, with this in mind of like hooking them with some sort of authority um, data, that kind of thing? Because um, they're not necessarily looking for authority on higher ed marketing strategies. You know, they might yeah. be lo- looking for something what, just snowball or just. Spitball. Spitballing, there there it is. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a
0: a great question. I think that it obviously can depend on different audiences, but I think as a starting point, things like notable research, things like your university just came out with some cutting edge new AI piece, or one of the alumni of your university just started some super successful startup. Each department might have slightly different things that resonate. But the first thing is something that is actually unique. Generic language that you have leading world-class leaders and world-class instructors and all this like fluff jargon language like nobody cares about that that's generic and it's not differentiable but as soon as you talk about something specific that an alumni did or a specific piece of research or maybe even things like sports programs are going to be relevant to folks And you talk about a specific accomplishment there can be a lot of angles for you to mobilize and what i again would recommend is to have as a university different people some of them are from programs, some of them are from sports, some of them are from across the board and have them posting about what they know. And that's part of this strategy, right? Now, suddenly people are seeing, oh, there's this really cool research piece that came out from here. And oh, I saw that the average grad is making $110,000 five years post-graduation. Whoa, that's kind of cool. And then, and then and you're just layering in all of these touch points that might resonate with these tens of millions of people who are in that zone of trying to decide whether to transfer, trying to decide what university, and you're piquing their interest by things that they care about. They wanna be part of a school that you know gets them a good job once they graduate. They wanna be part of a school that has an exciting culture that is active and vigorous. They wanna be part of a school that's putting out incredible research that's changing the world and making an impact. So all of those are specific to you as a university, and I think can be the type of content that will drive a lot of eyes and a lot of intake. So there's that that storytelling side. And it goes in contrast to what I see a lot happens in the higher ed space is just kind of like generic announcements where they're just talking about overall things that aren't that applicable to the actual student, right? And so if you're talking about things like, you know, acceptance rates, or you're talking about things that are just, just overall kind of fluff, there's not really like a, a student benefit. So in some ways, like the stuff that I've talked about, trying to think about like, why would people get excited about that? And that yeah. emotional connection is I think what will help drive you the most intent and actual kind of traffic, if you will, from your LinkedIn content.
1: Yeah, I love that uh, getting specific. And that's um, a key tenant of storytelling is getting specific. And I think too many organizations think they're telling stories when really they're just kind of giving broad, high-level information. They're doing the world-class professors, small class sizes and stuff, and they put it to an emotional song and they go, check, we told our story. Um, You know, it's like, but, but no, like the stories illustrate the value. They illustrate the impact that you're having. And the stories are in the specifics. You know, it's a time when a student and a professor had an impactful relationship that changed that student's life because of the small class sizes. You know, it's an example of something that a, a faculty member has worked on that's changed the world in some way. You know, it's, um, I went to um, an art school here in Detroit. One of the famous s- stories that gets reshared and reshared is one of the alumni created, and I think she was in like product design or something like that. And she created like this special winter jacket for um homeless individuals um and it's a jacket that then can like i don't know it's it's crafted in a way that then can like fold out into a sleeping bag you know and then and then you can fold it back up and now it's a jacket so like just that kind of stuff where it's like show us some what's cool like what's cool that you're learning and that just doing that says like wow she learned how to do that at ccs that's crazy you know um So, so yeah, that's, that's great. I think specifics is something that people, I don't see nearly enough of that on LinkedIn.
0: A hundred percent. And I, and so I think that as you, you know, what's interesting is in many ways, universities can follow, I think a very similar blueprint to what we're doing an active campaign and seeing so much success from, which is get your team all posting and get them going out there and the employees of the university highlighting these really cool stories, but then go also connect in with your alumni. See if you can have them share some stories. See if you can have them talk about, you know, fast forward five years and here's where things are at. And if someone feels that strong sense of affinity, you know, if Berkeley reached out, I have a very positive uh, experience from my time at Berkeley. If they had reached out in the business department and said, hey, Casey, we love what you're doing. Um, Would you be open to kind of sharing where you're at now and what, what the connection with your classwork was and kind of propelling? I would be more than happy to do that. I'd be more than happy to tag them in on a post And say, hey, when Guy Kawasaki, uh, you know, Apple's evangelist, came in and talked, that left such an indelible impression on me. And you know, I really liked the structure when they had debate debate classes where they had two people, two senators or congressmen of totally different views, would come and debate a subject. I liked being exposed to that difference of opinion. It's the exact type of thing that they want out there, but they're finding someone to amplify it, right? Who already has an audience potentially, like myself. And so I think I would encourage them. To not only mobilize their internal team, but reach out to the extensive network—they have huge networks, right—of people that have attended these universities and use them as amplifiers, because that can also provide, you know, a 10x effect to what you can even do internally with your team.
1: That's great, and that's a nut that you know a lot of schools have tried to crack. How do you incentivize people to uh, to post on your behalf, or uh, in a way that doesn't seem like a sponsored post or something like that? So, as an alum, I like that. You know, just someone reaching out to you Um, from your experience as an alum of a college, uh, you know, and you're saying that, like, if they reached out to you, you would totally participate in that. Is there kind of like a scalable system that you've seen work rather than because I've talked to some people uh, that are involved in this, like kind of reaching out to to influencers. One of my friends is like, it's just hand to hand combat. You're just reaching out directly building a relationship with them. And that's great, but not not scalable. Is there anything that you could suggest that a university could put into practice that might be a little more, less like one-to-one time intensive, or is just that the answer? It's just, it's not a scalable process.
0: I think there's two sides of it. So I think it absolutely can be a scalable process. So some people might be just genuinely passionate and they'll they'll do it just because they feel that connection into the university. Like I'm probably an example of that. Like if someone reached out, I would I would probably do that just because I'm passionate about Berkeley and I would wanna support them. But there's another side of this, which is what does that recipient care about? So let's say I was on the fence. I'm like, eh, maybe, but I'm not quite sure. What if they reached out and said, we love to highlight top performing business folks that come from our university. We've seen your content. We've seen you're getting millions and millions of views on LinkedIn, and we would love to write a piece in our business department about what you're doing. Um, Would you be open to doing kind of a post highlighting some of the experiences that you've had? And in exchange, we'd love to highlight you in this local business newsletter or whatever. Now I'm kind of sitting here thinking, oh, okay, like I might be interested in that. I've taught some classes um, at UCSD. I've been interested in potentially teaching at other universities. And maybe this is a way for me to build some relationships in with a university like Berkeley that could be a springboard for me working at some of those elite top level universities um, in the future. So that's where my wheels start to go. And so I think a good litmus test, and this is something we experiment with all the time, When I started my, I call it social amplification campaign, mobilizing our customers. I basically just came at it. No, I wasn't giving anything. I'm I'm saying, I'd love to hear your story. I don't want all of our content to come from us. Are you open to sharing? So that was one approach we tried. And we got a lot of folks who were passionate who decided that, yeah, we'll, we'll help. But then we started experimenting with, well, what else do they care about? How can we support them? So one thing we found is that people that are on channels like LinkedIn, They care about followers and reach of their content. And so one of the things that I could give is I could say, look, I have a marketing team of 50 people and I'll hop onto whatever content you want and we'll like, we'll engage, we'll comment, we'll give you more reach. We had folks reaching out and saying, that was so amazing. That was the best performing post of the year because you guys had 40 people comment on it. And I've never had 40 comments on a post in my life. So I looked at what can we leverage free, right? We're not paying anything for these things, but what can we quickly leverage on our side. So again, there's a little bit of a digression, but I think the top thing I would tell them to think about is what does the recipient care about and how as a university, can you try to add value visibility to them um, in that sense? And I think a lot of people like to feel elevated. They like to feel like they're in the spotlight. So that's a low hanging fruit of what value service you can deliver in exchange for getting them to activate and post about you.
1: Yeah, that's like a, you know, the art of negotiation in general. It's like, <laughs> find out what the other side wants, like what, you know, what's in it for them versus what's in it just for you. This, uh, you know, the, the, the Michael Scott win, win, win <laughs> situation. Um, totally. That's cool. Quick break here. I have a question for you. Have you ever had to manage the production of a video before for your school, where you were the person that had to coordinate all the scheduling. Like you had like five people that needed to be interviewed for this thing. And you had to juggle all the schedules and figure out how to line them up for individual slots miraculously on the same day. And on top of that, you had to talk to you like your facilities guy and make sure the door to the engineering lab was going to be open at a certain time. So the crew could get in there, film some B roll. You had to coordinate volunteers to be in the footage and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and right. Let me tell you something. Working with an outside video vendor should not look like this. Unfortunately, I've worked with enough video folks to know that the mainstream school of thought is they will coordinate the crew and all the production stuff, the editing, etc. And they will expect you to coordinate all your folks. And I'll be honest, sometimes there's stuff that the video people just can't coordinate for you. Like, I'm probably not going to email your college's president out of the blue to ask them to be in this video and to coordinate their schedule when they've never heard of me this project like that just makes more sense coming from you at least to get their initial buy-in but as much as possible your job should be to get buy-in from all the right people and then introduce those stakeholders to the video producer to coordinate which is not you unfortunately we live in a world where it just doesn't work like that most of the time in fact i talked to a marketing director at a pretty well-known art school recently who told me he hired this video crew to film a couple program promo videos and they paid a lot of extra money this was a bit of a splurge is the impression i got and they got two videos out of the deal. And he said to me, all that money we paid and I still had to coordinate everything. Like we paid a premium for someone to do these videos and I was doing all the grunt work. So here's the deal. At Unveiled, one of the things we take really seriously is making sure the process is easy on you, especially that pre-production process, which is where a lot of the not fun stuff tends to show up. So whether we're working together through our video storytelling subscriptions, a big commercial or maybe a smaller one-off video project, know that in addition to delivering a great end product, we also have our eyes on making that a smooth and oftentimes fun journey along the way. And even after it's done, we wanna make sure you're set up for success, which is why we give you all the raw footage, all that B-roll and interview footage to repurpose however you want at no extra charge. So if you have video needs right now, don't let the management of those projects stress you out. We are your partners in taking as much work off your plate as possible. So if that's you, I want you to head over to unveiled.tv that's unveil TV, and book a call with me. And let's talk about how we can best support you. All right, back to the show. So you sent me um, some stuff about LinkedIn updates to the algorithms. And I wanna get into that because there's some really interesting stuff in here that I think people will get a lot of immediate uh, bang for their buck on or whatever. Uh, so let's talk about that. Like what, what are some of these changes that are going on? How can higher ed marketers harness these?
0: Yeah, for sure. So I'll start with kind of the most basic one, which is that post frequency, I used to be a person who would recommend, Hey, you want to post maybe once every few days, you don't want to flood out too many posts at once because it's going to cannibalize your views. The algorithm in many ways has changed to kind of treat each post independently. There still is a little bit, like if you post and you post like an hour later, I still think that the second post will get less velocity. But as long as you give it like a four hour window is usually the marker that I've seen when I look at the data, um, you can kind of post at whatever frequency makes sense and each post will perform independently. So I went from posting maybe two to three times a week to right now where I'm getting some of the most views per week of my entire career, I'm posting seven to 10 times. And of those seven to 10 times, I'll always get a handful that every single week that won't perform well, right? Three to four posts every week will be low performing. I'll get some middle ones and then I'll occasionally get those ones that really blow up. So the idea is that the algorithm is kind of taking your post, it's serving it to a general audience and it's seeing how much that general audience engages on it. And then that decides how much they wanna kind of amplify it. So one thing I would say is, if you wanna post more frequently, feel emboldened to do that. Another thing that is interesting that they recently added is they have this new thing, this LinkedIn learning where they have collaborative articles. So if you go into different people's profiles, you might see these badges, like mine says, top marketing voice. Well, the way that you get that is you actually contribute to these AI generated articles and there's hundreds of different topics that you essentially can, um, that you can write in and become an expert. So there's hundreds of different types of badges. And if you click throughout profiles, you'll see there's some in engineering, there's some in sales, there's some in you know social selling. I mean, it gets really specific, but all you really have to do to tap in and get those badges is go to that LinkedIn learning, those collaborative articles, you'll see dozens and dozens of options and just hop in and make comments to the AI, there's an AI generated article, and right next to it'll say, make a contribution, and you just add some perspective. And I found that usually after you do a few dozen of those, um, if you can get some decent attention, as in you get a couple likes, a couple you know, people note that that's insightful, that'll help give you that badge. So that's a new thing that's recent. It was implemented, I want to say maybe two to three months ago, um, okay. but it's great as a way to help build your authority. Um, I definitely recommend it. And, Another thing that is kind of cool is you can search for subjects. I don't think a lot of people know this. So there's a little ability for you to type in, like I can type in marketing automation into my search bar. And before I click search, there's going to be a little bell on the right-hand side. So type in a phrase. It could be email marketing. It could be whatever you're looking for and look for that little bell right next to the search bar. And if you click that, it'll actually remind you, it'll actually send you notification when people are talking about different subjects. So this is a great way, if you're trying to get more involved in a certain niche and you wanna jump in and engage and talk with folks, you have the ability to do that by tapping into t- by tapping into that. So definitely something that I encourage folks to kind of be aware of. Um, in terms of in terms of that another thing that's pretty interesting is that they just implemented an ad library so what this means is let's say there's other universities that are running ads on linkedin you can literally search them and it will show you every single ad that person is running you can read their copy and depending on the company and or depending on the brand and where they're located you can even sometimes see demographic information So this has been really interesting. We search all of our major competitors and we can know what ads they're running on LinkedIn, what exact positioning and copy. And especially for any of these companies operating in the EU that has very strict privacy, like, you know, you need to disclose things. We can literally see they ran it for these two weeks to these specific countries, to these specific demographics. I mean, you get very specific information on their targeting. So that's just another interesting way if you're trying to research a little bit and well, what are the major players doing? You know, does Harvard advertise on LinkedIn? What kind of ads does Harvard run, right? Like you can do that legwork and that will help inform your strategy if you want to try, say a paid motion as an example. Um, So a couple different tools that you have that I think have come out recently um, that are great things you can take advantage of to kind of amplify your performance on the channel.
1: Yeah, that's great. And then a couple other ones that uh, were interesting. Don't tag people in a post. Uh, If they're not going to engage, tell me about that. Cause I see that a lot. Like, you know, um, you know, people will come up with a reason to tag, you know, maybe they had like a brief mention in an article or something like that. And so, Oh, I can tag that person. Uh, And then you get a list of people that are like tagging all these people. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I actually talked with someone from LinkedIn around this. So it was really interesting exploring this. Essentially what happened was um, people were just tagging tons. Like people would tag popular people constantly. And what was happening is it used to be every time you tag someone, they would get a notification. So these people were just like flooded with all of these notifications. And LinkedIn's like, this isn't a good experience. This person doesn't want to be flooded with hundreds of notifications just because they're popular and they're getting tagged and stuff they're not even involved in. So they basically made it so that really tagging is supposed to be for when you tie in someone who you know is going to engage in that content who you actually have a relationship with. So the algorithm, if you tag in someone on an article you collaborated with or someone who's involved and they hop into the comments and they respond to that, great. No, no issues. But if you have a pattern of tagging people who never engage, LinkedIn is actually going to throttle that content. They're going to reduce the exposure and the reach because they're looking at it and they're saying, mm, this person isn't following best practices. They're tagging these people that aren't actually involved or actually engaged. So it's a great kind of just overall best practice. It is okay to tag people, but Two things I would recommend. Number one, I typically recommend trying to tag in the comments instead of tagging in the post body itself. I think that has less chance to throttle your actual content. And I would encourage people to only tag folks they're in communications with. Hey, we're about to post this article this Friday. We're going to be dropping you a tag. Uh, Just wanted to let you know, give you a heads up. That kind of thing is good because then the person will know to expect it. And even if they don't get the notification, they can come in, they can comment, and you cannot have that adverse effect. But yeah,
1: good best practice. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, comments, this was one that I, I, uh, gravitated towards is, is, um, you say that LinkedIn will throttle a, a post. If you, if you're like the first comment and it's like a, a call to action link, uh, yeah. then it will like dock you for that. Tell me about that. Cause that, that's probably like the main strategy. Like it's, it's either, Oh, do you post it in, in the post or do you post it in a comment? But you're saying, uh, that, sort of this third way.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So first thing that this is actually a really, really important one um, that I hadn't mentioned before. So definitely everyone should take note of this. Do not post links in your post first order of business before we even get to the comments. If you post a link in a post, it'll cut your views by 80 to 90%, right? Like just straight up. Like it is a huge adverse effect. LinkedIn wants to keep people on their platform. They do not want you linking and sending people external to the platform. So they heavily, heavily penalize you for doing that. So if you really want to share an article, my strong recommendation is to have it incorporated in the comments. But what happened was they saw that people were trying to get around that limitation. Again, remember LinkedIn wants to keep you on the platform and they saw, well, people heard, I can't put a CTA in the post. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about it. And then I'm going to say like, see comments and I'm going to post it in. And that was their way to try to get around that so linkedin is smart linkedin said if there are no comments on a post and we see that someone did you know basically didn't have a link in the post but in the first comment they're going to treat it the exact same way and they're going to hit you with that heavy penalization Mm -hmm. for that behavior so i started to study a lot of other creators and like what are they doing and you know like jason lemkin is a good example he's a really influential person in the SaaS space And I noticed, oh, it's really interesting. He almost always posts call to action links, but he waits until there's four to five comments and then he hops in and he does it. He never does it right away and immediately. And then I started to talk to more and more creators who are really successful. They all told me the same thing. What we're doing is we wait until there's a handful of comments and only then do we add that CTA. And I think that's a really smart best practice that helps give you the best of both worlds. It's great to have a CTA. It's great to capitalize on a really successful post. some of my most successful posts will drive hundreds of opt-ins for like a newsletter that I run or something that I wanna push people towards. So I think having CTAs is great, but we have to get increasingly creative to not get hit by those penalties that LinkedIn brings to bear. So yes, don't include it in the post itself and try to make sure that you are not the first comment. And it's funny because I'm teaching a handful of folks about LinkedIn And there's a couple members of our team who just like kept including links, kept including links, and they were struggling. And I I kept telling them, like, don't have any links. And one of the posts that had a link, he actually edited it after it had a really slow start. He edited the post, removed the link. Three hours later, the post is over 10,000. And so it was this remarkable, like just seeing it firsthand start at like 200 views after an hour, he removes a link and suddenly it takes off and hits that inflection point you know, getting to 10,000 very quickly. And so um, definitely strong recommendation for people to heed that. Um, that's a pretty important best practice on LinkedIn.
1: Well, that makes sense because I recently, because I I break up my podcast episodes into small snippets. And I was, I was between like, it, it takes like extra clicks to schedule out a post that has the link in the comments so i'm kind of like and i looked at my analytics i'm like i'm not seeing a difference either way if i post it in a comment or if i post the the link to the episode or whatever in the in the actual post and that's probably because linkedin is probably just treating it <laughs> treating it the same yeah. either way it's like no different so uh casey don't look at my insta or my uh linkedin post for the next week or so because there's scheduled stuff just it's 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 going to be uh, the wild west but you you're, you're going to see a change <laughs> uh, at least with the stuff that comes out with, with from your episode uh, no links
0: <laughs> for sure and, and, and for yeah. sure and even and even find someone in your network find some people you know and let them know just say hey i'm putting out like what i'll do i ran a, ran a podcast cltv university and i would take a clip from riverside i would post that clip to kind of draw people in And then I would have either someone on my team or maybe even the person who I was interviewing, they could hop in and they could drop a post and they could link into the full episode. So there's ways too that you can act in that way where you're not even having to be the one where LinkedIn is registering, oh, direct link from author. Instead, it's coming in from an outside spot. So just with a little bit of fast coordination, like people in your network are usually happy if you just say, hey, would you be willing to send someone a link to the actual thing, like comment to this post? Sure. Uh, boom, they'll hop in there and they'll do that. But I do want to actually mention, that's another uh, point that I've tested quite a bit. Do that for the sake of getting the link on, but don't go to 50 people in your network and say, hey, go comment or go like this post with the sense that that will make it viral. So I actually ran a really interesting test. I, I... went to, I think it was like, I got over a hundred people from my personal network to comment on a post. Cause I wanted to see like, can I make this thing go viral? So like I started sharing it with everyone I knew, Hey, just did this post and would love if you could go in there and drop some quick thoughts. And that post got heavily throttled. It had like a hundred comments, but it only had like 40 likes or engagements. So that ratio already looked totally wonked. And the overall post ended up getting like 2000 views. Like it did very, very poorly. And so the learning from that is that LinkedIn, what they do is they distribute to an audience and all of the virality or reach of your post is defined on who LinkedIn serves it to organically. So when you link and you tell someone else to come in and and do that, they're literally contributing one view. They're contributing one (laughs) view. It doesn't change that reach anymore. So it's not to say you can't occasionally have people do that to share important resources or whatever else, but I would definitely caution people that it's not going to give you that reach. You know, LinkedIn has tried hard to get away from this, like pods. People used to do LinkedIn engagement pods. Yeah. I'm going to grab 20, of my friends and have them all comment in. Um, and so just be cognizant that that is not going to be a recipe for virality. If people don't trust me, go test it yourself. Uh, and you will see that same result. And so it really is based on how it organically serves it.
1: And it, and it makes me think too, they're going to serve it to, uh, you know, a test group of your your followers or whatever, um, that who you choose to connect with might, I'm just, this is my hypothesis, might make a difference. Because if, if you're one of these people that just accepts connection requests from everybody and you don't think about like, is this person likely to engage in my content there? You're, I would imagine you're very much diluting, you know, the likelihood that you're going to get people that aren't going to engage in that pool is very high. You know, when they serve it, is that true? Or am I crazy?
0: You're spot on. You're spot on. Yeah. It's a huge thing that I, I encourage folks is to try to build a network of people that are actually in your ICP, your ideal customer profile, the people you actually want to serve and you actually want to speak to. Um, and so and sometimes people come to me and they're like, well, I'm really worried, Casey, about posting on LinkedIn because I have a really small network right now. And I'm like, what a great opportunity. You yeah. don't have a bloated list of 20,000 followers that you got six years ago right. whenever, when all the craze was just follower count. So you can actually go out and send connection requests to the right key people in your network that makes sense. Like one of the things I might do because I work a lot with, in the SaaS world and the partner space, I might go to like all of our key partners people that I'm working with in my ecosystem. And I might connect with their marketers, connect with their salespeople, connect with the people who my messaging is relevant to. And there's easily thousands of folks that exist in those circles. And now I'm building a very relevant network. Similarly, I accept probably about 10, five to 10% of inbound requests. Again, when people are in the same relevant space. So if people are in growth marketing, if people are doing things that are comparable in that world, I'm like, oh, my messaging will actually be valuable to this person, but if mm-hmm. they're not, if they reach out and it's like a tax specialist, I'm just like, I don't yeah. know that my messaging is going to be really helpful for you. I feel like you're just going to hop in here and pitch me yeah. on some sort of service, and so then I'm I'm going to reject.
1: Well, I feel honored that I'm in the five to ten percent that got uh, my connection request accepted by you. Uh, so <laughs> thanks for that, man. Boost my <laughs> ego. <laughs> Uh, For yeah, sure, I, I'm in the process right now of of um, pairing down my connection list because I'm in that same thing. Like six years ago, whatever was just just anyone. Just I'm I'm like connecting with anyone that has, uh, you know, that has ears <laughs> or eyes to read, you know, <laughs> and then I'm accepting requests from anyone because of the follower account. Now I'm kind of like, okay, this is actually really hurting me. So it's very tedious process of unconnecting. And uh, unfortunately there's not an easy way to bulk do that. You know, I wish you could just go and check, 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 and then just like get rid of the, all these people, but you really have to do it like one by one, unfortunately. So it's the pain of it's what, you, that's what you get. You know, you're experiencing the pain now of having it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> accepted all these people. Well, totally. man, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, tell, uh, you know, for our audience being people that are likely to be active campaign users or likely to be close to the people who are active campaign users, tell us how, you know, college can, uh, college marketing team can benefit from what you guys do.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I think one of the first things is that a lot of teams that I work with have just a very generic, non-segmented, non-personalized email communication strategy. So they are just sending everything to everyone. Right. But as we were kind of talking about, there's so many different pockets of interest. If you're sending a bunch of sports updates to people that don't care about sports, that's obviously not landing. And if you're sending to students who are really interested in the overall culture and the sports, and you're just talking about some STEM education piece, they likewise probably don't care about that. So one of the things I recommend is to build an email strategy that uses things like tags, uses different identifiers, ask some questions up front and allows you to differentiate as people go through. And, and one of the things I saw actually just recently from a top university that I thought was really smart is they actually just on intake had like four different categories that were like listed out. Like this newsletter has 40,000 people and we talk exclusively about sports. As an example, this newsletter talks exclusively about the programs that we have at this university, how you can get involved in them. Yeah. And like it was just very clear. Mm. So people that opt in are only getting what they want to get. That's what's going to change you from being that boilerplate, 11% open rate with your huge list of 400,000 people that is super disconnected and mm. has never been purged and has a bunch of old people, right? To something that's more valuable. So I would say as a, at a top level, um, that would be the place I would start is finding a tool that makes it easy for you to segment and have some sophistication in those communications and also, I won't go down the rabbit hole here, but use some kind of common logics that say, look, if someone is just not opening anything that I'm sending, let's move them. Let's let's take that person either onto a slower drip or even unsubscribe them altogether if this information isn't valuable. Because you have a reputation as a sender and you're jeopardizing that reputation by having a consistent 10% open rate. You're sending the signals of like, most people don't want to read this, hmm. right? So proactively seed people out of those flows, ask them questions to try to get engagement. A huge marker that helps you land in primaries is actually reply rate, which is something that most people don't pay attention to. So try to ask targeted questions and create a little bit of engagement and conversation occasionally as you're going through. There's a lot of different best practices and with tools like Campaign, you can just simply set those logics up so that these systems can provide a much better experience at scale and it can be hands-off. So you're not constantly having to get in there and, and tweak and modify it. So yeah, activecampaign.com or feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Casey Hill. I post a lot about email, about organic growth, a lot of stuff we were kind of chatting about today. And if anyone wants to connect, feel free to drop me a DM and ask questions either about organic strategy uh, LinkedIn or about active campaign, and I'm happy to speak to it.
1: Awesome, man. This has been great. I, this is going to be a, uh, just a killer episode, I think for, for our audience, that's, uh, much of which is on LinkedIn and a lot of practical tips here. So appreciate you being here. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. This was great. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Three things I want to give you before you go. Number one, reminder to sign up for my free weekly newsletter, all about creating content that resonates emotionally with your audience. And you can do that at unveiled.tv newsletter. Unveiled is spelled U-N-V-E-I-L-D. Number two, if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone. Share it with your team, your boss, your dog whatever and if you're not already subscribed i'd love for you to do that Uh, number three reach out to me if you have comments questions you want to talk about a video project whatever my email is john at unveiled.tv john is spelled j-o-h-n or follow me on linkedin if you're searching for me my last name is spelled a-z-o-n-i that's all for today and i look forward to catching you on the next episode of the higher ed storytelling university podcast thanks